Thanks for listening to the teaching podcast of Bridgepoint Church. Stay tuned after the podcast for a short message, but for now, let's jump right in. You know, it's week three of our series we've been calling Reboot, but before we jump into that, I have a couple quick things I want to make you aware of. The big question everybody asks me now is, hey, when are we going to reopen our kids' ministry area? And so I'm excited today to let you know that two weeks from now on Sunday, August 2nd, Bridge Kids will reopen. So if you have kids who are newborn through fifth grade, they have their own Sunday morning worship experience. And, and at the same time, we will no longer ask you guys to register to come on Sunday mornings, but we will have a pre-registration option available for our Bridge Kids area. And the reason for that is we have new um, policies in place about cleaning and social distancing during check-in and check-out. So we want to make sure everybody feels safe. You can find all that information out on our website at bpc.life. But today we are jumping back into our series called Reboot. And this week I stumbled across a story about a guy named Joe McVicker. And you know if that's his name, it's going to be a good story. He grew up in central Ohio and he had taken over his father's company. Now his dad started the family business back in the 1920s and they manufactured soap products. But in 1933, they were awarded a contract by Kroger, the grocery store, and it was a contract to develop some kind of tool that would clean soot off of wallpaper. Because back in that time, most people heated their houses with coal, and as they would heat their house, the soot would get over the wallpaper. And so the McVicker family developed this like clay that you could actually wipe down the walls with. But by the time Joe took over the family business, the United States had gone through World War II, and most people had stopped using coal to heat their homes. Instead, they were using gas, which meant there wasn't a whole lot of soot on the wallpaper, which meant that the McVicker family business was headed downhill and headed downhill fast. In fact, Joe was really stressed. He felt like he was drowning. He wanted to do whatever he could to save the family business, but he wasn't sure how to do that. Until one afternoon, he was having a conversation with his sister-in-law when she said, you know what, my kids love playing with your clay more than the arts and craft clay because it's so soft. What if you colored the clay and called it Play-Doh? And the rest is history. That's the story behind Play-Doh. And I love that story because it reminds me that all of us are one small adjustment away from making life work. No, that's good. I'm going to need your help this morning. Okay, I'm fired up. But man, I need somebody to shout amen. Oh no, oh my. I'm going to need your help this morning. But, but we're all one small adjustment away from making life work. We're one small adjustment away from getting unstuck, from experiencing the breakthrough that we've been praying for. And that's what this whole series is about. It's this idea that many of us walk in today and you feel bogged down, you feel like you're drowning. You need a reboot. And our theme verse for this series has been Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, don't be conformed back to the same habits, patterns, and behaviors you've lived in up to this point. Instead, every day we can experience transformation. You can experience a reboot when you renew your mind. And that word renew, it means reset. Just wipe the slate clean every day and start living according to God's way instead of the world's way. And so we kicked off this series by looking at what it means to wipe the slate clean. 
And then last week, we took it a step further and said, once the, the slate is clean, we got to develop some new habits and new behaviors in our lives. Last week, we said that the first most important habit that we could ever do is focus on what's first. You got to focus on the, the first things first. And, and really, it's all about alignment. Because if you put God first in your life, everything else starts to fall into place. I don't know if you ever had this experience. You go to the doctor. Maybe you got a headache. Maybe your knees hurt. Your feet are swollen. And you walk in, and you're thinking he's going to look at the knees or the head or the feet. But all of a sudden, he starts looking at your back. You know, because if a little bit of your back gets out of alignment, it impacts the whole body. And listen, if you don't have Jesus first, if your life is even slightly out of alignment, you're going to experience that in all areas. See, the problem isn't in your marriage. The problem isn't in your finances. The problem isn't with your kids. The problem is that we haven't given God priority in our lives. And so if we put the first things first, everything else is going to fall into place. But I don't know if you're like me. You know, I like to try to prioritize God in my life. But even on my best days, there are some times that I find myself doing things that I don't want to do. You know, it's what Paul says in Romans chapter 7. I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things that I do want to do. Which means that there's got to be a second habit that we have to implement. And if you're taking notes, if you're, you're writing this down as you're watching online, the second habit that I want to talk about today is don't believe everything you think. Don't believe everything you think. Because listen, we have a lot of thoughts that can go through our head. There's a lot of things that we might think about during the day, but just because we think it doesn't mean it's true. In fact, I was reading this week that, that, that at the back of your eye, there's an optical nerve, and it's connected directly to your brain. Did you know that the brain sends twice as much information to the eye that the eye does to the brain? Which tells me that it's not your eyes that tell you what you see, it's your mind that tells you what you see. In other words, you don't see the world the way it is. You see the world the way you are. You, you don't look at the world in an unbiased way. None of us do. That's why two different people can look at the same situation and have different perspectives. Somebody can say, well, why doesn't this person just pull themselves up by their bootstraps? That's what I did, because you're viewing it from your perspective. And somebody else might say, well, well why don't we really help them out? Because somebody helped me out, and it changed my life. So see, maybe you're in a relationship right now, and, and there's not trust there. Maybe there's some insecurity because you're viewing your relationships through all your past relationships. Maybe you're viewing your current work situation through all your previous work situations. So just because you think something doesn't mean that it's true. So it's important for us to make sure that we are controlling our thoughts. I actually love what the early Christian leader Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. If you have your Bible, let's go ahead and open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to jump into verse 3 in just a moment. But if you've been here at Bridgepoint for a while, you know, I love to give you a little context. I love to kind of set the stage for what we're going to look at. So you see, Paul was writing his second letter to some Christians who lived in the town of Corinth. Now, when the, the Christian movement first started going, Paul was a leader who would go around from city to city. He would tell people about Jesus and as people started to follow Jesus, he would gather them together, form a church, and then he would move on to the next city. And so most of our New Testament is actually collections of his letters that he wrote back to some of these churches. And in fact, in this particular church, in, in our Bible, we have uh, this first letter and his second letter. But some scholars estimate that he wrote up to four different letters to the same church. Now, 
if Paul's writing a letter, that's because there's probably some messed up things going on at your church, okay? So they didn't get it the first time, the second time, the third time. I mean, he's writing to them over and over and over again. And so people say to me sometimes, you know, Matt, the, the church just has a lot of problems. It's really messed up. And you know what? It's right. It is true. You know why? Because it's been that way from the beginning. That the church isn't this building, that the church is the people. And as long as people are there, there's going to be problems, there's going to be mistakes, there's going to be things we need to correct. In fact, I actually love, in the Anabaptist tradition of the Christian faith, they don't actually call their church a church. They call it the meeting place, because the church is the people. But as long as there's people involved, there's going to be problems. Anybody relate to that? And so in the first letter he writes to them, he's confronting them pretty harshly, because they've got a lot of stuff going on. One of those issues is that there happened to be somebody in the church who was sleeping with his stepmom. Now, I know Bridge Kids isn't open yet, so that's a whole other sermon for another time. But the point being, he comes down on them hard, not because there was somebody at the church who made mistakes, but because they confused acceptance with celebration. So you can accept somebody and their flaws, but that's different than saying we should celebrate that and that should be the norm. You know, we, we all walk in here and we all have issues that we deal with. And if I can just be completely open and transparent with you, you know, this week I did not have my finest moments. This week there's a couple times I lost my temper and I yelled at my kids. And I know what you're thinking. Everybody yells at their kids. Not like I yelled at my kids, you know. That's enough to scare me. And I remember having to apologize to them and just feeling, man, that that's not the kind of dad I want to be. That's not the memories that I want them to have of their childhood. But I say that this morning, and, and I can say it because I think this is a safe place. I know you accept me. But I also know you don't celebrate that. And you're not going home and saying, well, Pastor Matt did that, so I'm going to yell at my kids today, right? You know, sometimes we feel like they deserve it, but, but we know that's not what we need to do. We don't celebrate it, even if we accept people. And the Corinthian church got those two things confused. See, we want to accept everybody. But it doesn't mean we celebrate everything we do, because why? We're broken people. And so Paul comes down pretty harsh on them. So sometime after his letter is delivered and read in front of the church, some of the leaders there got upset. They were offended. And so they started going around and telling other people in the church, you know what? Paul wouldn't say that if he was here face to face. You know, he's, he's real big and bold and brave when he's writing his letters, but he would never talk to you like that. He is such a hypocrite. I mean, they accused Paul of being like the first keyboard warrior. You guys know what that is? It's that person who says things on Facebook they would never say to your face. I mean, we all know what that's like. In fact, when I was in sales, I remember if I ever got an angry email from a customer, I would not reply to the email. I wouldn't call them. I would get in my car and drive to see them because face-to-face -face, you can diffuse situations and people aren't quite as bold as they are sitting behind a keyboard. Well, well they're accusing Paul of being a hypocrite of being a keyboard warrior. They're calling his character into question. And so he decides to address this, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. He says, For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. I want to stop there for a moment. Paul says, listen, the, the, the people who are accusing me of being a hypocrite, they're the ones who are being hypocrites. Because they're manipulating people, they're gossiping, they're talking about me behind my back. And listen, even though I'm a human being and I'm flawed, I'm not going to fight back the way the world would. I'm not going to do the same thing that they're doing. Instead, I'm going to fight the war in the spiritual. 
Because, see, when we fight the war in the spiritual, all of a sudden we get to tap in to God's power. I don't know who needs to hear this this morning, but the problem that you're facing, I promise it's more spiritual than you think it is. Now, I, I say that because I think most of us, we, we try to dismiss that. We, we think everything's got a, a problem, and it's rooted in, in our decisions, and we can fix it all ourselves. But I promise you, your problem is more spiritual than you think it is. Now, I'm not saying there's a, a demon behind every corner. And, and, you know, if you run out of gas on the way home today, it's not because the devil attacked you, okay? It's because you didn't fill up your tank with gas. You ever heard the phrase, everything happens for a reason? Well, sometimes is the reason we're dumb and we make stupid decisions, okay? But I do believe that oftentimes the, the problem is not in our marriage. The problem is our relationship with God. The problem is not with our kids. The problem is how tuned in are we to their spiritual needs, you know, I think sometimes we need to read less marriage books and we, start, we need to start reading this book a little bit more. Some of us need to stop focusing so much on our financial plans and we need to start focusing on our generosity plan. We, we need to focus on God. We need to go to him because we got to win the war in the spiritual. By the way, that's why every August we start our school year with 21 days of prayer because I have no idea what this school year is going to hold. To be honest, I don't even know what the rest of today is going to hold. I mean, that's the kind of year that it's been. Listen, I might not know what the future has in store, but I know that if I go to God first, I can trust him with the rest of it. And so we're going to make sure that as a church, as, as, as individuals, we're going to make sure we put God first in our life. And so I want to challenge you. If you want to see God show up in your life, be here for 21 days of prayer starting August 2nd, every Monday through Friday, 6 a.m., Saturdays at 10 and then Sunday here in the service, and we'll also have it available online as well. And, and I challenge you, show up, and, and won't you see that God is going to work in your life in ways you never would have anticipated? So we got to win the war in the spiritual. You say, well, Matt, that sounds good. That preaches good. But what does that mean? What does it mean to win the war in the spiritual? Look at the rest of verse 4. He says, we demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. How do you win the war in the spiritual? How do you demolish strongholds? You take every thought captive. You take it captive. And, and what fascinates me is that Paul grew up in a region of the Roman Empire, where about 50 years before he was born, there were some pirates who had come into that area, and they had set up these strongholds, these towers, and these walls. Now, what do you think that the Roman Empire did when they saw that people were trying to create divisions within the empire? They, they didn't stand for that. They actually sent their army in, they slaughtered all the pirates, and they demolished all of these strongholds. And so Paul probably grew up every day walking by the ruins of somebody's strongholds. You know what a stronghold is? It's anytime someone tries to build a wall of division. A stronghold could be your worldview. A stronghold could be just an attitude that you have. And the way that we knock that down, the way that we demolish those is by taking every thought captive. See, the battle with sin always starts in the mind. Nobody wakes up one day and says, this is the day I'm going to have an affair. But it starts with a thought. Nobody wakes up and says, this is the day I'm going to embezzle money from my company. But it starts with a thought. We have to take every thought captive and make it submissive to Jesus. So how do we do that? What, is, what does that look like, practically speaking? I want to give you three things in the time we have left this morning. 
that I believe will help you start to take every thought captive and you'll stop believing everything that you think. The first thing I want to challenge us with this morning is you got to guard against garbage. You have to guard against garbage. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 14 says it this way. A wise person is hungry for knowledge while the fool feeds on trash. A wise person is hungry for knowledge, but a fool feeds on trash. Back when personal computers were first getting really popular, there's a phrase, garbage in, garbage out. Meaning a computer is just a tool, right? Like a spreadsheet is only as good as the data that you put into it. So if you put garbage into the computer, you're going to get garbage out. You put bad data in, you're going to get bad data out. It's the same way even when it comes to eating, right? You know, there's people who say a calorie is a calorie, and that might be true. But 600 calories from McDonald's is not the same as 600 calories from a salad, you know? It's garbage in, garbage out. In fact, nutritionists talk about different kinds of food. You have brain food. This is stuff you're supposed to eat. It helps you grow your mind, be healthy and strong. These are things that are healthy and helpful. And then you have the category of junk food. Now, junk food might not necessarily be harmful, but it's also not helpful, right? It's empty calories. It just, you know, maybe adds a little extra weight on, but that doesn't really help us become healthy. And then, of course, there's toxic food. And this is stuff that if you eat it, it will kill you. It's poisonous, right? And I think when it comes to our thought life, it's kind of the same thing, right? We get to choose what are we going to eat? What are we going to feed on? Are we going to be like the wise person who feeds on truth? Or are we going to be like the foolish person who's feeding on trash? And here's where I think we need to lean in just a little bit. Because I think most of us know, okay, you know, this is a good healthy thought. I'm going to focus on these. And and this is an unhealthy thought. So I'm going to stay away from those. But I think what gets most of us is this like kind of junk food thinking. It's these thoughts that, that aren't necessarily hurtful, but they certainly aren't helpful. Man, I must just have McDonald's on my mind this morning, but anybody ever see that, that documentary, Supersize Me? I love that documentary. It made me so hungry afterwards. But, but you see this guy, and his whole challenge was for, for 30 days, I'm going to eat at McDonald's for every meal, and if they ask me if I want to supersize it, I'm going to say yes. And so you get to the end of the documentary, and he sits down with the doctor, and the doctor says, yeah, you're unhealthy. And everybody who watched the documentary said, duh. Like, we know that McDonald's isn't healthy for you. Nobody goes to McDonald's because it's healthy. We go because it's good, okay? I'm be real with you. A bacon McDouble with a large fry and a large drink, that is my favorite fast food meal. You can have Chick-fil-A all day. Give me that bacon McDouble. But the reality is that it might taste good in the moment, and it might satisfy me short term, but it's going to cause me bad effects down the line. Some of the things you are thinking, that bitterness feels good to hold on to in the moment. Your resentment at your spouse might make you sleep a little better at night. And you can blame your kids for a whole lot of stuff. And in the moment, it feels good. But I promise you that when you sow bitterness, you're going to reap destruction. When you hang on to those thoughts, when that's what you dwell on, don't be surprised when you dwell on garbage and your life turns out like trash. We have to guard against garbage. But the second thing I want to challenge us with is that we have to replace the wrong with the real. You have to replace wrong thinking with real thinking. Paul says it this way in Philippians chapter 4. He says, don't worry about anything, but in everything, 
Through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, now, get what he's talking about here. He says, don't worry about anything, but instead be thankful for everything. By the way, I think sometimes the reason that we have so much worry and anxiety is we've stopped looking at the blessing and we started focusing on the burden. We, we, the, the very thing you were praying to God for, he gave it to you, and now you're complaining about it. And it could be that the, the, the secret to peace, the secret to the peace that passes all understanding, is that you got to start thanking God for the things that you've been complaining to him about. you got to start thanking him for the things that you want to whine about and fuss about. you got to replace that wrong thinking with the real and in verse 8, he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on those things. You, you got to stop looking at the problem and start remembering God's promise. Stop looking at the obstacle and start looking for the opportunity. Stop focusing on the burden and start remembering the blessing. That's the key to peace. That's the key to defeating worry and anxiety. I don't know if you remember the, the commercials. This is your brain, and this is your brain on drugs. Okay, well, well, this morning, this is your brain right here. And this is your brain complaining. And oftentimes, it starts out innocently enough. Oh, man, you know, my kids frustrate me. Can you believe my spouse said that? How about this one? My parents just don't understand. And we start to fill our minds with this garbage, with this junk. And listen, we can guard against the garbage. We can stop putting more garbage in, but it's too late. There's already garbage in our mind. And we'll keep coming back to those thoughts over and over and over again. But what Jesus tells us to do is instead, we got to focus on what's pure, and holy, what's honorable, and just. And the more that we start to do that, what we're going to realize is our life starts to fill up with the things of God, and it starts to push the garbage out of our life. But too many of us stop here, and we hang on to the garbage a little bit, because again, it makes us feel good when we're angry to remember all the times they let us down. It makes us feel good when we're frustrated to see all the ways we've been disappointed. But if we're really going to see transformation, what we have to do is every day replace the lie with the truth. Replace the wrong with the real. And when we do that, we'll find that our life has been transformed. That's what it looks like to replace the wrong with the real. We have to do that if we're going to see transformation in our life. But the last thing that we have to do is we have to dream big dreams. We have to dream big dreams. And, and it frustrates me sometimes that we live in a culture that makes Christians feel bad for dreaming big dreams. Listen, there's a difference between selfish ambition and godly ambition. Because I believe that God has put dreams in your heart. He has given you a vision for what your future looks like. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, verse 17... It's one of the very first messages preached by Peter, and he, in it, he quotes this verse from the Old Testament, and it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people, and then your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. 
Now listen, I believe that right now we're, we're living in, in what the Bible calls the last days. Now, now I don't mean that, that Jesus is coming back in a day or a week or a year. The Bible says nobody knows the times for certain, but what I do know is the next big event is Jesus is coming back. And in these last days, I love what he says, young men will have visions. Young men will have a vision for what God wants to do through their life. And don't miss this, old men will dream dreams. That tells me that no matter where you're at in your life, God still has a dream bigger for you than you have for yourself. Stop downplaying the dream. Stop dismissing it. Stop saying that it's not spiritual. If God put it in you, he wants to do it through you. And so we have to be willing to dream dreams. Now listen, there's a challenge here though, because I think there's a challenge for those of us who are dreamers. I love to dream, I love to think, I love to plan. But you ever get to the point where you make this big plan up and you feel so good about the plan that you actually forget to work the plan? Listen, if you're a dreamer here today, don't forget also to be a doer. Do the things that God has called you to do. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait until you finish college. Don't wait until you get that job. He's called you to something today. Calling isn't something for the future. It's faithfulness today. Now for the doers here, those who just like to put their head down and work the plan, don't forget, God's called you to dream. You can get so focused on today that you miss where God has taken you. You miss where he wants to lead you. And I think for many of us, the reason that you're stuck is you've forgotten to dream big dreams. Listen, I believe God has something more for you than you have for yourself. But the only way you're ever gonna know the dream is to know the one who put that dream inside of you. See, for some of us, we're stuck because we need to change our thinking. We need to stop believing everything we think. But some of us here today, the reason you're stuck is because you'll always be wandering until you come home to your Father. You need a relationship with Jesus. We've all sinned, we've all rejected him. And even in our darkest moments, he went to the cross, he died on the cross for you and for me. And here's the thing, he did that knowing what our worst moment was gonna be. He knew all the mess ups, all the mistakes, all the things that you don't even know you're gonna do, he knew it and he died anyway because that's how much he wanted a relationship with you. And so I wanna challenge some of us today, our next step is to begin a relationship with Jesus. For some of you, the next step has to be guard against garbage. What are you putting into your mind? What, what, what is the music you're listening to? What, what, what TV shows, movies, books? If you put garbage in, you're gonna get garbage out. For some of us, we need to start replacing the wrong with the real. Stop bringing up things that happened 10, 15 years ago. Instead, whatever is true, whatever is holy, whatever is noble, focus on those things. And for some of us, we need to dream big dreams. Walt Disney first opened Disneyland out in California. And after he had gone through that whole experience, he decided he wanted to improve on that park and open a park unlike anything anyone had ever seen down in Florida. And if you know the story, Walt passed away before Disney World actually opened up. And at his funeral, somebody came up to Walt's wife and said, man, isn't it a shame that Walt never got to see Disney World open? 
and she looked at him and said, what are you, what are you saying? He saw it every day. This was his dream. You guys are just seeing it for the very first time. And I wonder, what is God's dream for your life? What is it that maybe nobody else sees, but today you need to have faith to dream again? All across this room, and if you're watching online, would you just bow your head and close your eyes with me? Again, maybe today is the day that you begin a real relationship with Jesus. If you've never done that, or maybe you did a long time ago and you walked away from him, I just want to encourage you right now to say this simple prayer. It's just you and God. Say, God, I admit that I'm broken, and I know that I've sinned against you. But today, I believe that your death and resurrection was enough for me. I'm committing my life to follow you. God, we thank you so much. We thank you for the way that you want to work and move in our lives. I thank you that you have plans that are even bigger than ours. So I just pray right now for everyone who's here who needs to stop believing what they think. That today would be the day that everything changes. God, we love you. It's in your name I pray. Thanks for listening to the Bridgepoint Church Podcast. I hope we've shared something meaningful for you wherever you're at in your spiritual journey. Just so you know a little bit more about us, we meet on Sunday mornings in downtown Woodstock, but we also meet during the week in what we call life groups, and that's where the really good stuff happens for us. If you're becoming a regular listener of this podcast, we'd like to invite you to make it relational, just like we do during the week. Grab a Bible, invite some friends to join you, and turn this into a conversation. If you're already a regular listener and would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by visiting us online at bpc.life and choosing the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for listening.